Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I trust that wherever you are listening in from, you'll be encouraged as you follow Jesus. Just before we get to the message this week, let me remind you that you can join in the conversation raised by this podcast during the week by subscribing to The Big Three, a midweek podcast where Matt, Jess, and I sit down and unpack three big questions that were raised by the sermon. You can also download a discipleship menu for this sermon. The menus are a selection of activities that you can engage in on your own with a friend or even in a small group to put this message into practice in your life. You can find The Big Three wherever you listen to podcasts, and our discipleship menus are on our website www.gamiabaptist.org.au under the Next Steps and Growing tab. This week, we explore the fourth discipleship context that God uses to help us grow as followers of Jesus, the social context. In this context, more than 20 people relate and connect with each other, and discipleship occurs in community, practice, and mission. Well, church, before Mark comes and brings us the message, we're going to have the Bible reading today, which can be found in Romans 16, verses 3 to 16. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliitis, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Abanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narsus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Ansyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who were with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Well, if, if we were live, there'd be a round of applause for Matt Willis. So just in your homes, would you just give, him a, give it up for Matt Willis? I'm actually not preaching on Romans 16. I just wanted to have him read that whole list. No, no, I, we, will be, uh, we will be looking at it a little bit later on. Uh, I, I found it interesting that you stumbled over the holy kiss after you got through all the names. <laughs> Ah, the live stream. It's good to have you with us this morning, uh, wherever you might be tuning in from. I've been uh, kind of involved in the chat. I know we've got people from all over the state. Welcome to you. A special welcome to those of you who have perhaps uh, for the first time made yourself an account on GBC Online and jumped in the chat. It's great to have you with us. 
We do believe that everyone who's gathered here is not gathered here by accident, uh, but that God has something for each one of us this morning. Uh, We are continuing our series, The Topography of Discipleship, Finding Our Way as the Church Today, in which we are trying to map out what discipleship looks like for us now, what it looks like for us to follow Jesus in these times. And we've been following the uh, the book, Discipleship That Fits, by Bobby Harrington and Alex Absalom, who argue that there are five different relational contexts that God uses to help develop us as followers of Jesus, where we learn what Jesus is on about and what he invites us to do. Uh, As true disciples, as those who are apprenticed to Jesus, we learn the business from him and then we continue it on. And so we've looked already at this point at the first three of those contexts. We've looked at God and you, or the divine context. We've looked at you and a few, uh, the transparent context. We've looked at you and a crew, or the personal context. And today, we start a kind of a two-week look at the social context. Unfortunately, we haven't come up with a word that rhymes with uh, you, or few, or crew. So it's you and a team uh, that we're sticking with at this point in time, where 20 to 70 people, so it's a fairly large group, relate and connect to each other, and discipleship occurs in the context of community, practice, and mission. So it's a larger group that know each other well enough, but the discipleship component, the following Jesus part, gets worked out in our sense of community, gets worked out in our ability to practice some of the things that we need to learn and grow in a smaller context, and in the context of mission. Uh, And Harrington and Absalom in their book argue that this is often the context that is missing from a lot of churches. That in many instances we uh, encourage people to spend time alone with God and we have one or two people that we might be intentional about in our relationship. We may very well have a life group ministry and then we have the whole church gathering, but we tend to miss this grouping. 20 to 70 people who relate and connect in order that they might learn about discipleship through community, through practice, and through mission. And that really resonated with me because as I thought about our community of faith, it feels to me that we are largely also missing this context. Now we have ministry teams, many of whom would kind of fall into that category uh, where we uh, end up with, you know, kind of 20 or 30 or 40 people who are involved in a particular ministry. And there's some discipleship that works out in that place. But I'm not sure that we've been as persistent or intentional as perhaps we need to be. Uh, And I wonder, for those of you who've been around, the church for a while, uh, I wonder if this is not part of our perennial quest to experience greater community. Uh, the sense that we sometimes have that we just, we just don't quite know each other particularly well, that we just don't have that kind of closeness. And I wonder if this isn't kind of part of the solution to that. But I think it's also worth noting that When they talk about discipleship in the social context, they're talking about the sense of community, practice, and mission, and all three of those are very important. I also sometimes wonder if as a community of faith, we have ended up making community the mission rather than, than taking, separating those. That we make community our end goal, that we make the idea of that closeness of relationship and connection as the mission of the church, rather than allowing our sense of community to come out of our mission and to work together. Because thankfully, as I've said a number of times in this series, this is not an either-or scenario. It's not as if we can have community or we can be on mission. It's something that we do together. 
But I think it's really important that the mission drive everything, that the mission that we're on as a community of faith be what uh, creates our sense of community and in which we take the time to practice. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is actually reflect a little bit on, uh, on what it looks like for us to be a community on mission what that means for us, and then reflect briefly on that passage in Romans chapter 16. And I think there are four things in particular that kind of stand out to me as being defining characteristics of a community on mission. And I think the first of them is is very simply that we will be a community that is unified. A community that is unified, not around our sense of what church ought to be like or the sorts of things that we ought to do, but on the mission that we have been given. I mean, this is really why discipleship is so important. I mean, if we didn't have a mission from God, if we hadn't been invited to participate with his plans to restore and renew the world, discipleship would not actually be necessary. If God's entire plan was to save people and kind of polish them up and kind of place them on his trophy shelf in heaven, then discipleship could be a very personal, private thing where we just focused on kind of being nice people. But the reality is that God's mission was so important to him that he sent Jesus. And it's so important that he has given to all of us, every single one who believes the Holy Spirit, to enable and empower us to participate with what he is doing. Which means learning from Jesus, learning to be like Jesus, to be able to do the things that Jesus himself did as the Father sent him, he has sent us, that becomes critical to who we are as a community of faith. And when that mission, when that vision, when that idea unifies us, I think there's something remarkably powerful about the community that it creates. Because I think not only is there a unifying in a a community that is on mission, but there's um, an ability then to prioritize, to kind of get things in the right order. And I come back to this whole matter of um, how easy it is for us to make community the mission where we end up focusing on our sense of connection, where we end up focusing on our sense of, um, of what's important, when we end up focusing on um, what's comfortable and what's familiar. Uh, that then be, kind of gets things a little bit out of whack. In reality, we need the mission to define our community. We need the mission to be the, uh, the thing that unifies us and helps us make sense of what's important. And again, this is where I come back to the idea that community is not separated from mission, but intimately connected. But we really need to make sure that as a community of faith, we are a community on mission and prioritizing that first and foremost. Because if we don't prioritize the mission, then we will end up creating community around things that are somewhat arbitrary. We'll end up trying to create community with people that we like or who are like us or creating community around things that make us comfortable or things that are familiar. And while that's not entirely bad, it's completely different than a community that is focused on the mission at hand. Perhaps you've been a part of a team, whether it be a sport team or a management group or a project group at work, and this is how this works. You're given the project, you've all registered to play soccer at a particular club, and that is what creates the community. 
It, it's, the, it's something external to whether you like each other. It's something external to whether it's comfortable or familiar. There's something that creates the community that is outside of the community. And while it's always great to be on a team where people like each other, while it's always really helpful to have good relationships with your coworkers to get progress on projects or to advance the, the needs or desires or goals of the organization, ultimately it's the mission that forms the community. I think this is really critical for us as a community of faith. Because again, I think it's really tempting for us to replace the mission with community, to make community our final goal, to say that that is when we will have arrived. And again, it's not either or. Like, it's really not either or. But if we make community the mission, as if that's the final destination, if all we get out of our time in a community of faith is some closer friendships, then we have opted out of the, the grand plan that God has saved us for. It's too important to get that wrong. We need to be those who are united around what God has invited us into and allow that to then shape our community. And I think there are two ways, the kind of final two that I want to talk about, two ways in which our communities will be shaped if the, if the mission is central. And the first of them is that we will be an open community. We'll, we'll be an open, welcoming, inclusive community. For the very simple reason that when people join us, when we meet other believers, when we meet those who have begun to follow Jesus, we don't see them as someone that I don't know yet or someone who's different from me, but instead we see them as someone who can help us participate with what God has called us to. It's been a while since I've used a hockey illustration, so I figured it was time. It was a good indicator for me to let you know that I'm doing just fine by kind of bringing one of those things in. And we've just experienced a sense of unity as every single one of you rolled your eyes. So you're welcome. Uh, but uh, the, the, in uh, the hockey, the thing that I follow, as you're probably aware, uh, about, uh, about five weeks before the end of the season, they have what they call a trade deadline, after which point no more trades can be made until the next season commences, essentially. Uh, and there's often a flurry of activity as teams look to make one last trade uh, that they think will kind of put them over the edge in their quest for the Stanley Cup. Uh, last season, my team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the cross that I have to bear, uh, decided that they were kind of, uh, that, that they could make a trade that would make them better and give them a good chance in the playoffs. And so, uh, with about five weeks left in the season, they traded for a fellow named Nick Foligno. The only thing you need to really know about Nick Foligno is that he was the captain of a different team. He was uh, a beloved member of that franchise. He'd captained them through some of the most successful periods in their franchise's history. And then, kind of overnight, he became a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. The Toronto Maple Leafs as an organization, of course, the team had been working together for about seven months. Uh, they joined in training camp and they had gotten to know each other and they'd practiced and they'd trained and they'd traveled and they'd spent an extraordinary amount of time with each other. But their relationships would have been quite close and all of a sudden, with only a few weeks left in the season, they're adding someone completely different. And I have no idea exactly what the first training run looked like. I have no idea what it was like when Nick walked into the, the dressing room for the first time. But all that you heard from the players was that they reached out as soon as they found out. They sent him a text to say, hey, welcome to the team. They did everything that they could to help him find his place in the team. To figure out how he could be a part of their plan to win the Stanley Cup. 
that they set aside the, the question of whether they liked him or not. I mean, they'd played against him. They'd had some heated battles against him previously, but now he was one of them, and he was not someone who they didn't like. That was kind of secondary. He was someone who they thought could help them achieve their mission. That's the kind of community that you end up with when you are focused on your mission. With the relationships, you want to build them, you want to make them close, you want to do all you can to drive those relationships, but ultimately you're open to those who might join because they represent people who can help us achieve the vision and mission. I think that's critical for us. Again, if community becomes the mission, if that becomes the end goal, then, then, then new people, those who join us, are kind of a threat to what's comfortable and familiar. But if the mission is what drives our sense of community, if we have those things working together, then there's a powerful synergy that moves us forward where we are open and always on the lookout to kind of adding people to those who are part of what God has called us to, an open, inclusive, welcoming community. Which also means that as a community on mission, we'll be marked by doing everything we can to help people find their place in the mission of God that we will help everyone find their place. Because if this plan, if this mission that God has given to us is so important that he would send his son, if it is so significant that he would pour out his Holy Spirit, his very presence, his enabling power with us, if it's so important, then we need to find a place for everyone to join in. No one's role, no one's task, no one's part can be seen as unimportant or insignificant. We need to help everyone find their place in God's mission. Again, a hockey illustration. Yeah, it's, a double, it's, a double, it's a double day for you. It was the end of the first period, uh, and the Toronto Maple Leafs were defending. Mitch Marner, one of their star players, had his stick broken by a slap shot. Uh, the puck got turned over, and uh, Toronto immediately begins counterattacking. There's a rush the other way to try to take advantage of a bit of an overlap. Mitch Marner drops his stick and starts skating as fast as he can to the bench. Within five or six strides, he's already at the bench, by which point in time Bobby Hastings, the equipment manager, had found one of the spare sticks and held it over the board so that at full speed, Mitch Marner could grab it and continue in the play. He gets the stick, takes the pass, makes a pass himself, results in a goal. And the first thing that he does is he turns around and points to the equipment manager, a bit of an assist on his role there. And what I loved about the, this kind of this moment was that it drew into sharp focus just how important everyone's role is on that team. I mean, Mitch Marner is one of the skaters. He's one of the stars. He makes nearly $11 million a year. Bobby Hastings probably makes somewhere in the realm of $70,000 a year. And his job has always been important, making sure that there are sticks and new skate blades and clean towels and fresh gloves and tape and all the things that the players need. But in that one moment, you saw just how important it was. It brought into contrast that that role and paying attention to that role itself actually led to success. And the same thing is true, I think, for any community that is on mission. 
Every role that we play is important. There are moments when it comes into sharp focus. There are moments when we see very clearly that what seems to be a mundane and menial task is actually incredibly important to the overall success of what we are trying to do. So one of the challenges for us, I think, as a community of faith is to make sure that we make it as easy as we can for everyone to find their place in the mission of God, be it large or small, be it in the front or behind the scenes. Every single one of us has to find their place. And to some degree then, the question of when are you a part of the community of faith here is not when you've been here for 15 years. It's not when you've made so many friendships. It's actually as soon as you have found your place in the mission of God, you are in the community. That needs to be the, the boundary, if there is any, that we need to cross. This is what a community on mission looks like. It is unified. It prioritizes the mission. It is open and inclusive and it is one where everyone has found their place. Romans 16. Paul wraps up this letter with a long list of greetings. And I was struck by the way in which Paul describes these relationships. Because there's obvious warmth in it, isn't there? I mean, there's the warmth of him uh, referring to uh, a, a woman who has been a, a mother to him. Uh, there's uh, descriptions of dear friends. There's descriptions of those that he met early in his ministry. But I want you to notice how often Paul refers to the mission component in this. Have a look again in verse 3 if you have your, your Bible with you. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. So there's a sense of gratefulness, of gratitude, of warmth, of, of significant relationship uh, where, where Priscilla and Aquila were willing to risk their lives for Paul. But it's not just because they really like Paul. It's not just because he happened to be a nice bloke or they've known each other for years. They are his co-workers in Christ Jesus. They have joined with Paul as he has joined in doing what Jesus has invited him to do. Greet the church that meets at their house, which lets us know that Priscilla and Aquila were probably fairly wealthy, that they owned a home large enough for people to gather there. And we don't know the socioeconomics of everyone in this list, but we have references to people who were parts of other people's households, those who perhaps were servants or slaves. They too are part of this. There's something that unifies all of these people together. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. There are men and there are women. There are the wealthy and there are those who are not so wealthy. And all of them are brought together by the mission of Jesus Christ. And they have prioritized the right sorts of things. So Paul doesn't have a lot of time just to say, hey, greet Mary, who's, uh, you know, just a, a really wonderful person. No, Mary has worked very hard for you. And Paul is writing to them to remind them of what God has invited them into. 
Greet Adronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews, who have been in prison with me. Why was Paul imprisoned? It wasn't because he had outstanding parking tickets. It was because of his commitment to the mission that Jesus had given to him. They, he says, are outstanding among the apostles, uh, the apostles and were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend, in the Lord. Again and again and again and again, Paul makes reference to what binds them together. The, the warmth, the community that we feel in these greetings stems from their commitment to the mission that Jesus had given to them. And they are unified around that. And they have set that as their priority. They are a community that is open to anyone who is part of the mission. And they have all, it seems, found their place in that call. This list of names is not just a list of names. It's a reminder of who we are to be. That we too are to be a community on mission. And while there's still lots of space for us to improve in this context, as I said at the outset, uh, this is one of those contexts that we tend, to, we tend to miss a little bit. We kind of skip from life groups right to church together. But there's space for us to grow and expand and be a little bit more purposeful and intentional in this space. But notwithstanding, we are ultimately a community on mission. That, that is who we are. That is why we are. God has called each and every one of us as we've begun to follow Jesus, to participate in his plans to renew and restore everything. He invites us to participate in that, grants to us his Holy Spirit to enable and empower us. And when we fully grasp and understand that mission, it will shape the kind of community that we experience as well. This is the great power, I think, of the social context. We are called to be a community on mission, unified around God's invitation to join Him in His grand plan to renew all things in Christ Jesus through the enabling presence of His Holy Spirit, committed to the mission in everything we do and helping everyone who joins us to find their place in the mission of God as well. Due to the current public health orders in New South Wales, our facilities do remain closed to the public. If you'd like to join us for worship, we'd love for you to do so online. Our services this week are at 9.30 and 6 Australian Eastern Standard Time. And you can join in by logging into www.gbconline.org.au and keep an eye on our social media platforms for any changes to this. Until next time, God bless.